Well, look, I mean, I think it starts with um, I, wherever I've had the opportunity to work. I, I think over the years I've found that, you know, the more you can sort of meet the customer where they are uh, and and connect your brand to their life as opposed to, to sort of the opposite version of that, the more successful you'll be. And I, I think that's more... Um, not only critical to our success, I think it's it's really our reason for being at PetSmart. You know, no one should know more about what it means to be a pet parent or be a better partner to those pet parents when it comes to taking care of their pet's needs. Hi, I'm Andy Murray. Welcome to It's a Customer's World podcast. Now more than ever, retailers and brands are accelerating their quest to be more customer-centric. But to be truly customer-centric, it requires both a shift in mindset and ways of working, not just in marketing, but in all parts of the organization. In this podcast series, I'll be talking with practitioners, thought leaders, and scholars to hear their thoughts on what it takes to be a leader in today's customer-centric world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm joined by J.K. Samancic, the CEO of PetSmart. We'll be talking about his approach to being a customer-centric leader and how he brings clarity and insight into what his customers want. J.K. has had a remarkable career as a senior leader in retail for over 20 years. In this episode, he shares some of the learnings he's had in his leadership journey and how he keeps his finger on the pulse of what customers want. I found his emphasis on getting into stores and listening to customers, seeing what they see, and talking with associates particularly interesting, especially in a time when there is so much focus on leveraging big data and technology for insights. JK shared the importance of constantly looking for and solving customer problems worth solving as a way of keeping PetSmart relevant to the changing needs of pet owners. He also answered some student questions around career advice that I think every student entering the workforce should pay attention to. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming J.K. Samancic. Hi, J.K. It's great to have you on the program today. I've been looking forward to this for some time. Well, that's great to be here. I'm glad to be able to talk. Well, you and I have some common background spending some of our early, well, you at the early stage, me at the late stage, had time at Walmart. And so... I would love to hear, you know, how that experience for you has shaped the way you think about retail. Well, I, look, I, I mean, it's uh, I'm 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 older now. I you know I, I realized the other day I've, I've actually been away from Walmart longer than I was there. But uh, I left in 2006, and uh, you know, from really my my early days in the mid 90s and until then, I was fortunate to work with. A lot of great people that I just learned a ton from, and and as you know, that was such a period of growth for the company. You know, spending half of that time in international, and and you know, learning sort of it, it was almost like learning retail history in real time. You know, because each country was at a different stage of development, and you know, I was I was also fortunate that there there weren't enough people around. Uh, to get all of the things done, so I was I was thrust into a position of, of really doing things that I was not at all qualified for, and and uh, you know those those of us that learned how to do it and and figured out some level of success, you know we we just got another trial or a, another test, uh, you know as a result of of you know sort of winning that game, and so uh, I was it was you know those thirteen years were you know no, no pun intended, but they were almost you know based on my current business, like dog years, right? I mean, there was just so much that you got exposed to that that I don't know that I would have ever, ever, ever had the opportunity to experience if I had not had that experience with Walmart. Yeah. Well, I came into Walmart at the later stages of my career, and at the time you were just exploring and getting at Walmart, I was at Procter & Gamble uh, calling yeah. on Walmart back in the early 90s. And so it was a magical time of change and growth and partnership. Uh, yeah, those were great days. 
Yeah, it it was a, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I I spent uh, a part of the early days in Brazil, Argentina, uh, living as an expat in Mexico, uh, helping to build everything from a produce distribution center to uh, you know third party uh, distribution that we brought you know subsequently in house, uh, helping to build out you know, the fresh business, which really was in its earliest days. And, and, you know, uh, you know, I, it's such an important part of the company today. You know, I, I used to beg to get, you know, a, a operations leader just to spend a couple of minutes walking through a fresh area that, you know, it was so new. And so, uh, to, to be a part of that build out, it was just really cool. Yeah. Well, you know, I spent uh, from 2016 to 20 at ASDA, and so you probably spent some time in the UK. Uh, right. And uh, I will tell you, the fresh business there is just as challenging when you got so much imported, you know, coming in, and we had to deal with Brexit and all the changes right. that meant. It was quite a, I think everybody was learning like it was brand new all over again to deal with all that, for sure. But yeah, also just a tremendous learning experience. And one of the things you're doing now, obviously, is the CEO of PetSmart, uh, and it's a, quite an impressive role you have with that. You know, I've, I've noticed that you've really talked a lot and think a lot about being customer-centric, and uh, I'm a long-term PetSmart shopper. There's one near our house with many years of putting our, our do- caring for our dogs through the PetSmart experience. And when I think about PetSmart, I do think about some of the customer-centric things that you guys have done whether it's the trade loyalty program, adoption services, in-store pet training, probably a number of other things too that I'm missing. So given that this program's really about being customer-centric, I'd love to hear your thoughts about when I say being customer-centric, you know, what does that mean to you and how do you manifest that as the CEO? Well, look, I mean, I think it starts with um, wherever I've, had the opportunity to work. I, I think over the years I've found that, you know, the more you can sort of meet the customer where they are uh, and and connect your brand to their life as opposed to, to sort of the opposite version of that, the more successful you'll be. And I, I think that's more um, not only critical to our success, I think it's, it's really our reason for being at PetSmart. You know, no one should know more about what it means to be a pet parent or be a better partner to those pet parents when it comes to taking care of their pet's needs. There's, you know, the pet industry is a wonderful business, Um, you know, 90 plus million households compared to, you know, think about, I'm sure in your P&G days, baby was a big part of the business and, and that's about 30 million households. So, you know, when you think about the pet space, it is uh, one of the the most evergreen consumer growth spaces there are, and and it really runs on premiumization, humanization. You know, our pets have moved from our yards into our homes, into our beds, and and they really are a family. And and so, a lot of people play in that space, and a lot of people can sort of cover needs transactionally. If, if PetSmart is going to be relevant and growing the way that we have been, it's going to be because we not only are the best at providing solutions to the things that, that you already need or the questions that you may already have, but we've got to be out in front and anticipating what those needs may be for you or what those wants may be for you, um, you know, over the next one, three, five years. And, and you can't do that unless you are intrinsically connected to your customers and, and, you know, are the biggest champions for their passions and the biggest solvers of their problems. I, I, I think especially retail is going to have a place, that's going to be what it is. Otherwise, if it's about convenience or, or, or some other lever of value, there's probably somebody else that's going to fill that need. Well, you make it sound fairly intuitive and obvious and easy, but if you've and if you're listening from outside of retail, you say, "Well, yeah, of course that makes sense." But you know, from my experience inside of retail, 
uh, what you just said is not easy to do because there's a lot of operational pressures, competing priorities. And if you're on the exec team trying to be that type of leader to, to line it up against that, that's not um, as easy as it sounds because you do have operational hours. You can think of all the things that retailers have to to harmonize in order to do what you just said when the P&L may not always push you in that direction, you know? So do you do you lead this from the top as a corporate priority, or is this something that's just so in the culture you don't really have those kind of challenges? No, look, I, I think it, it starts in our company with a connection to, to culture and values that really, really do believe that, you know, pets make us better people and anything we can do to help deepen that connection with your pet, uh, that, that's our purpose. And, and so, uh, you know, I think having that kind of foundational uh, set of, of principles and that mission driving our organization really does make it, it easier. And, and I think it, it, you know, if you've seen any of our, of our work, you know, one of the things you'll, you'll see us talk about all the time is anything for pets. It, it's, it's more than a tagline. It really is something that ties back to our mission, vision, and, and purpose in a way that um, I think holds us accountable to that idea. Uh, to your point, there's there's stuff that happens, you know, you know, it, on any Tuesday at three o'clock when you know the that particular fire pops up, it's it's hard to to say, oh no, let's let's look at our mission, vision, values one more time before we make that decision. I mean, the the reality of doing business, I think, uh, is always a competing pressure, but you know, if you hire to that mission and and you have people who are uh, aligned to those values more times than not if we're stepping outside of it there's somebody to raise the question and you know I'd, I'd love to say we're perfect but when we're not I'm, I'm even prouder of the fact that because we believe in that there's there's more likely than not somebody who's going to raise their hand and say hey is this really what we should be doing and you know I, I think the the benefit of of having that you know, that alignment is we also come into it, you know, looking at our customers' uh, shopping experience and, and, you know, the way that they live their lives a little bit differently than, than other people who are in this space. And, and you know, that, that does manifest itself, not just in, in the stuff that we sell, but we are the largest provider of care for pets in North America, uh, the most doggy daycare, uh, hotel stays, uh, salon and grooming. We have the largest number of veterinarian, you know, hospitals in our stores. And, and so that kind of connective, uh, you know, one-stop shop, if you will, to be your partner and, and to be able to meet a customer at whatever moment in their life, we can provide that value. Um, I think it's something that, you know, we, we take very seriously, but it also, it does force accountability. When you, when you say you're going to be meaningful in all those places, you can't take a day off. And, and I think that, that, that conveys a set of responsibilities that, that our team really does, uh, relish and, and respect, um, you know, in, in almost everything we do, not perfect, but, but. We get a lot of it right, and and I'm really proud of the work everybody does to deliver against that. Interesting, J.K. I wonder how much of what you're describing are a set of values that could be applied to any retailer that purposes themselves in that direction versus it's just the nature of a pet category that's a specialty channel where you've got a certain type of customer base. You know, if you think back through all your different retail experiences, um, where do you think that is? Uh, where do you think that line is? Do you think it is a set of principles about how you treat the customer that could go beyond um, the category that you're in per se because of the nature of that category? Yeah, look, Andy, I think it's a great, that's a great question. I, I would answer it probably two ways. I think there are, you know, a lot of 
good retailers, people that I respect, you know, both uh, peers, but also competitors who, who may have their own version of answering that question, that have those, those two or three things that is so ingrained in what they do. You know, they're, they're on the tablets, so to speak. And, and, you know, people know this is who we are and we can't deviate from it. Um, and, and for them, that's the, you know, the, the unlock. I mean, I, you know, it's kind of a, a dated reference, but if you remember city slickers, it's, you know, it's their one thing. Right. And, and, um, I, you know, for us, I really do think it is that love of pets and, and look, a lot of people can talk about it. Nobody else actually can deliver on that promise of, you know, caring for your pets as if they're our own. No one else who is in this space, no matter how passionate they are around it, has as many pets coming in to be a part of that shopping experience. Nobody else thinks about a display and, I mean, you know, pardon me, but wonders if it's going to be interactive with a pet or would it potentially be a P-trap? Right. Like, I mean, you like you have to think about those, you know, that's the reality of bringing a dog into a store. And I say dog because I don't know that many customers who bring their cats with them. A few, but but, you know, dogs are a little bit easier. There's nobody else that that, you know, has connected as many people and pets through adoption as what we have. That you know, we are the largest animal welfare donor in North America. Um, that there, you know, when you have all of those points of connection, uh, it it really does, I think, bring our mission to life in a way that is uniquely our own. I won't say we're better at being mission oriented than other retailers. We're just better at that mission than other retailers. With Omnichannel being the topic on so many uh, retailers' minds and brand marketers and such, uh, one might think the role of the physical store is in decline, but uh, I think from your perspective that you'd probably see the... Uh, I can't imagine a PetSmart experience that's just totally online. I mean, the, the store is such a, an important part of the experience that we love taking our, our, our dog into. Um, how do you see the Omnichannel world... Um, evolving within PetSmart? You know, for us, uh, it really is about, I, you know, I, I've kind of evolved over time. I mean, you, you know, you, you look at, you know, market share and where growth is and isn't, and, and, you know, I think you can fall into that trap. The unlock for us was really thinking about how do we evolve our business to meet our customers wherever and however they want to shop us. And, and we recognize, even from my own personal experience as a shopper, that's likely to be different ways depending on what my, my needs are, right? I mean, we, you know, the, the very person who is coming in every day to drop their dog off for doggy daycare may want a BioLive pickup and store experience because that's just convenient for them, right? And, and, you know, and so, um, you know, the, the, we really are agnostic. We want the experience to be, be great no matter how it is. And, and we try to think about the ways to deploy technology to facilitate, you know, the, the easiest, but also most personal experience for you, um, that we can. And, and I think, you know, we were, look, we were, um, I think later adopters as a company of thinking about, e-commerce as it relates to goods and and have done a nice job of, of evolving to to solve customer needs there better. We were earlier adopters and and leaders as it relates to services. And and you know even thinking about look if you book your pets for a for a grooming appointment, you know how might you navigate that experience? Um, well, you may think about your schedule. So, you know, time and availability is important. But the other thing is, look, if you're really bringing your pet in to be groomed, you're doing business with PetSmart, but you're doing business with a groomer. You're doing business with somebody that you trust to care for your pet. And so building the navigation that allows you to look at their schedule, because, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't know this, but like I, you know, 
my wife, I've got, you know, seven sisters. They will they will amend their schedule like crazy when their their hair specialist has availability because once you find that person, you you don't want, you know, you you'll you know, the, obviously I didn't take that. You know, I, I have to live vicariously through them. The same is true with your dog, right? Like you're, you know, I, I, you can see, you know, you can see pictures uh, of mine in the background. They go to Holly. Uh, before that, they went to Nurivan in Houston. But, you know, and, and I, I, I told people I shopped at PetSmart, but I also had that relationship with my grower. And so building the technology that allowed for that personalization to orient around you as a customer, the person that you work with, be it a trainer or a groomer or whatever, or orienting around your pet was a unique challenge, and, and but one that we felt was important for us to solve because that's what being customer-centric in our space looks like. I've always felt that understanding the customer problem and which one's worth solving is your best starting point for real innovation. I mean, how do you find those customer problems we're solving because not every customer problem can you afford to solve you'd like you know is strategically on point for you to solve but, but a lot of them are and it's not always easy understanding what is it the customer really wants and what will work at scale how do you how do you kind of go after that to find those problems we're solving you know i mean it's 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 maybe a, a simple and, and fairly unoriginal answer just go ask questions. I mean, you know, I mean, tr truthfully, this is where, e even as it relates to digital innovation, our best unlocks uh, and the best, you know, kind of simple solutions that we've delivered have actually come when we go to a store and we talk to customers. Um, you know, it's, and, and also, you know, maybe, maybe even more importantly in this case, talking to our associates who, you know, are, are sort of blending their own experience about what does and doesn't work with what they're hearing from customers in a way that's real, um, real time, organic and, and not filtered because there's some guy in a sport coat or gal, you know, who's from the headquarters asking that question, but it's just real honest feedback. Well, what a beautiful segue to what I wanted to cover next in that I've been working with the University of Arkansas, Molly Rapert's marketing class, and she just had, I think, 35 students do store walks uh, in the pet category with uh, at many a, a handful of different retailers, PetSmart being one of them. And I had an opportunity to coach them ahead of time how to think about a store walk to get the most out of it. Uh, and then they went and did it with buyers at different retailers and put some real interesting thoughts together. And I think the thing that really impressed me about that is to exactly to your point, the best insights come from just getting in the store and walking a store and getting uh, and thinking about, you know, how would a first time uh, cat owner think about cat litter and what problem they might be solving versus an experienced user. And so right. any thoughts that you might have on how to get the most out of a store walk when you go walk a store, what are you looking for and how do you, how do you process that so that when students do it the next time, we can come back to this clip and say, hey, here's here's how the CEO thinks about it. If you don't think this is an important task, think again. You know, it, look, it's it's harder and harder for me in this role to get a real honest store walk. I mean, you know, when I go to a store, um, you know, I'm, I'm one of my first priorities is to spend time with that store team and, and you know, their you know, there's, you know, I'm not naive. There's a little bit of, of, you know, prep that comes whenever I'm showing up that is, you know, more about them being able to showcase their work. And, and it's, I think it's harder sometimes to get the kind of customer insights that I could get if I was just, you know, throwing on a ball cap and, and walking in on a, on a random Saturday with nobody knowing who I am. Uh, but, you know, that said, I, I think, you know, one, I, I really do, if I'm, if I'm trying to learn something, I try to come in and spend some amount of time thinking about, okay, what if I was shopping this, right? Like, it, and, and in particular, I like to sort of map what I think a customer journey might look like in a store. And, and in our 
you know, in our business, um, you know, great. There's the, the quick, you know, sort of, I'm bringing somebody in for services and I want to pick something up there. There's, um, the, the stock up fill. There's a little bit of our business that looks like grocery. Uh, there's also though kind of the big life decision journey, right? If I'm coming in and I'm going to buy, uh, you know, a setup to move into the specialty pet space, which is what we call everything that's non dog and cat could be aquatic reptile. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you've got a few questions if you're going to bring a bearded dragon into your home and, and, you know, you, you want to know, like, what do I need to do to take care of it? How do they feel? What's that experience like? And, and so, you know, um, that really is, um, one of the, you know, that, how do I solve a question that somebody has is probably the single biggest test of uh, a shopping experience in our store. And, and I think the way we've evolved over time is to try to figure out how to make as much of that self-service facilitated in nature, not because we don't want the interaction with a team member, on, on the contrary, we really do. But as more and more people are using this to navigate their daily life, there's some subset of customers that will never ask you a question. They would, they would prefer to deal with their device than deal with a person. Or they don't want to interact with you until they feel like they've done some level of cursory work. Like, I want to have a smart question, right? And so, um, you know, building in, like, I've learned a lot by coming in and being able to think through what does that look like. And, and you know, we still got a lot of work to do in that space. I mean, it's probably the one area where we get the toughest questions. Uh, the internet is unreliable. You know, I've got a, a team of veterinarians that are, are really, you know, mapping solutions, uh, not only for our store teams, but, you know, for you as a customer, uh, that, that first and foremost, ensure the safety and health of the pet. Uh, and ultimately then if that's what we deliver, then you're going to have a good experience as a pet parent and you're going to want to, to deepen that relationship or move deeper into the hobby of specialty. And so that's, that's how we think about it. And, and I think, um, you know, resetting and, and kind of mapping customer journeys through some very specific, you know, what's my list? How would I come in and shop this? That's, that's the most valuable way I think you can walk a store. I, I love that you've prioritized learning about the customer through what's would seem like a very simple and accessible task of figure out a customer journey, go walk the store with that in mind. That's something every student graduating has access to and might find through fresh eyes um, insights that, you know, a lot of them in their minds might think, well, I have to work there 10 years to add value. But no, not necessarily. It's those fresh eyes that can be really insightful. And you've really did a good job explaining that. We did have a couple of students ask some, uh, throw some questions your way that I'd love to run them by you real quick while I have you. Um, one is from Sadie uh, Nussel, uh, and she is a marketing major. Uh, she's going to be moving to New Jersey, and she asked a question, said, um, in a few months, I'm moving across the country to New Jersey, someplace I've never lived before. You've moved from Arkansas to Michigan, to Arizona. What advice do you have for making the most out of moving to a new place and starting a new part of your career? Uh, you know, the, it's funny. The, the best advice I can give anybody who's moving is love where you're going. Find, what, find something to love about it. I, I think, um, you know, secret to, to us, you know, and, and we really have loved each community we've lived in, uh, but it's because we really made a point to discover what made that place great. Um, you know, I, I, you know, it was, it was, uh, I remember early on and, and I, I learned this actually working at Walmart. Um, you know, Northwest Arkansas looks a lot different today than it did in the the nineties and early two thousands. Um, and, and it was a tough place to get people to move to. And the people that I saw who, who did that well, were the people who embraced what there was there at the time 
and found things to love about it. It might be the Razorbacks. It might be living outdoors. It might be, you know, just people. It was a great place to raise a family. The people that struggled were the people who found themselves comparing what the place they came from had that this place did. And, and, you know, I think, you know, there's things about New Jersey that are only there in New Jersey. And if that's where you're going, I think le- I say lean into it and, and, and go find what you can be passionate about. I, I'm a, I'm a, you know, people ask me what's my favorite NFL team. And I, it's, it's the home team right yeah. now. It's the Arizona Cardinals. That's hard. That's hard to do. <laughs> yeah. My time in Michigan trained me because yeah. it was the Detroit Lions that, so, yeah. you know, I mean, but I do, I think that, you know, don't look back, look forward. I mean, it's simple advice, but if, if you lean into that experience, then, then, you know, you'll find things you love about it. And, and actually I think you'll be way more productive. You'll, I mean, you're going to be more successful, you know, both personally and professionally because you lean into, you know, there's a reason you're going there in the first place. Reasons to love it. Uh, that's a that's a great great way to think about it. Uh, second last question is from a Macy Wheeler. She's uh, going to be looking to join Accenture as a consulting consulting analyst, uh, major in marketing. Yeah, she said uh, you have had an amazing career working with major companies in a variety of different industries. When transferring from leading one large company to another, what what commonalities in your experience have you found? What has been the biggest change in terms of culture or processes? Um, you know, I, look, it's a really good question. I, I think um, the, the, the commonality is, you know, you do, you do good work with good people. Um, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I, it's a little, you know, it's a little weird for me because I've I've moved companies, at least a couple of them, as the CEO, and and I think, you know, the thing that that I've tried to do in each case is respect that I'm joining a culture that exists. Like it, you know, I I I hopefully bring something to it, but you know, I think people in my position often think, okay, well, I'm the new leader. I get to rewrite the values and do those. And and that's just not the way the world works. Like I, I loved PetSmart as a customer and, uh, I, I respected what it stood for and was proud to be joining that and also recognized that, you know, at, at the time I joined the company, you know, maybe the culture wasn't as strong as it could be, and maybe we had lost our way. And so Part of my job was maybe to help restore that. It wasn't, you know, it, it, it was to to add some strength to something that was already there and and not recreate it or reshape it or anything like that. And and so, you know, I think the way that you do that and the way that you ultimately find the most success, you know, personally is attach yourself to great people and and you know find find out you know what they're doing, how they're doing it, and, and, you know, jump into it, particularly when you're at a, you know, you're starting out. I mean, I I think that was one of the, you'd asked me earlier about Walmart. I mean, that was one of the benefits of of being a part of Walmart at that point in time is, you know, you had a chance to to draft along with some great people and, and get experiences which wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think one of the things I learned at Walmart is how to ask better questions. I mean, I was always told, pay attention to the questions the leaders ask. And actually teaching through questions was a powerful learning for me that's really stuck with me. No, look, I, I, I cannot agree more. And I, I will tell you, you know, I'm, I'm probably tipping my hand here. Uh, you know, I interview a lot of people. Um, I rarely make decisions based off of, of the resume. I rarely make decisions based on how they've answered the questions I have for them. I learn more about how somebody thinks and and what what their talent level is by the kinds of questions they ask me and then the subsequent discussion that comes from those questions because that's real, that's you know that you can't prep for that. Um it it, it is the the truest most honest view that I get of a candidate, um, you know, interviewing at this level. And, and I would tell you, you know, the, the better the question, 
you know, frankly, the smarter the person. And so I, I, I couldn't agree more. Molly's going to not believe this because that's exactly what I've been telling the students when we talking about, you know, what a good interview looks like. And I said the exact same thing, which is I listen for the questions you ask. And um, I don't know how many people I've interviewed, JK, where I was the last one in the chain and perhaps, yeah. you know, and I would say, what questions do you have for me? And they would say, um, well, you know, your team's done a great job of briefing me. I'm, I'm good. And, 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 and it's just sad because of like, seriously, like, Maybe something is like, what What are you curious about yourself, you know, in the future? I, I just find it shocking, and I really encourage students, be brave. Ask questions. It shows you curious about humanity. I mean, you you should have loads of questions, right? Am I, am I getting that right? Oh, 100%. I, I, I you know, I've got uh, both of my kids are students uh, yeah. at uh, part of the Walton College. Yeah. My son's a sophomore. My daughter's graduating here in just a couple of days. Congratulations. Thank you. No, congratulations to her. She's she's done a great job. She's they're both great kids. But the the two pieces of advice that I've given them is is they think about uh what they want to do and moving into this space. Uh one from an interview standpoint is they've asked me questions about, you know, what should I do? And I, I the only thing I spend time with them on is tell me what questions you're gonna ask somebody. And and you know, they've even said, Well, what you know, how should I answer this? You'll answer that. I'm not worried. About, I'm not going to coach you on how to answer a question. You answer it honestly. Tell me what questions you're going to ask that person. And the, the the only other piece of advice I give them is, look, you know, the only kind of jobs you should be thinking about are it's either with people that you really like and respect and you know you're going to learn something from, or it's in a space that you really, really love. And, and you know, all the other stuff, you know, what you make, what the career path looks like, et cetera. If you, if you work on those two things first, the other stuff will take care of itself. If you think of it in reverse order, chances are you will not be as successful and you certainly will not be as happy. But if, you know, as complex as the world is today, you've got a greater likelihood of being successful. If you are doing what you love, and or doing it with people that you respect and are going to learn from and and that you care about. I, I love that. Yeah. That is that is such good advice to, to think of it that way. And I often get asked the question, you know, what if I don't get the perfect job out of college? Uh, you know, this is one of the questions I wanted to ask you because you came from a theater major, yeah. right? And some might find that odd, but from my experience in retail, I'm around a lot of actors <laughs> right. And, and, and actually the CEOs that could storytell, I mean, yeah. I would have killed to have had a theater degree. Right. So how, how is that connect? How have you connected the dots from even something like that might feel as off direction as that when it's not? I, I get asked, I, you know, the irony is I get asked the question a lot. Right. And, <laughs> and I, I joke, uh, I, I read an article uh, a while back uh, that, you know, something like 2% of, of CEOs have a liberal arts degree. Uh, the only one that I know of that's actually got a theater degree was Michael Eisner, and it worked worked out pretty well for him. Um, but you know, Howard Schultz has communications degree. I mean, there there's a few out there, but but like two percent of CEOs have a liberal arts degree. Eight percent have no degree. So I mean, apparently apparently you're better off dropping out than <laughs> making a liberal arts degree if you want to be a CEO. But I. No, I think you nailed it. You know, for for me, um, you know, I think there's certain things that um, you know that have been true. Uh, as a merchant, as a marketer, and as a leader, the power of storytelling is indispensable. Um, you know, when when I was a buyer, DMM, you know, working the merchandise space, you know, an assortment. And, and what you put in front of customers in, in form of goods was the story that you were telling. And if, if, if it didn't hold together cohesively and there wasn't, uh, there wasn't action and purpose behind its reason to be there and you didn't have compelling characters, then chances are you weren't going to like what your P&L looked like. And, 
as a, you know, as a marketer, um, you know, you, you know, you're sort of breaking the fourth wall and connecting directly with the customer to try to assemble those stories in a way that is more compelling and that they can decode. And, you know, even as a leader, I, I think the ability to sort of, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan, when he was, uh, you know, running for president, you know, was asked, hey, why, why would we want an actor as president? And I, I won't get the quote right, but he said something to the effect of, you know, an actor's got to know, you know, actor's got to be good at two things, got to be, you know, got to be honest and real, and you've got to be connected to your audience. And, you know, those are, those are pretty good things for a politician to have too. I'd say the same for a leader. And, you know, so, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, I will say too, for me, uh, Early on at Walmart, and, and for those that are listening who, who don't understand or haven't been exposed to it, I mean, a, a Friday or Saturday morning meeting at the time where you're sitting in an auditorium and you've got a thousand or so people and you're on video and everything else and you're getting asked a question about your business and somebody's thrusting a microphone in front of your face. For me, look, that wasn't intimidating. I, you know, I mean... It gave me a chance to be the best version of myself I could be, and and you know having that ability to sort of be vulnerable and stand in front of a group of people and and not worry about the judgment or be intimidated or any of that sort of stuff, that was, I mean that that did I think give me a little bit of a head start, and and I think over time, and and I would say this to to anybody who's a student who may be thinking about it today, you know, technology is awesome, and and you know there's so many ways that the world is more complex, and and so many more tools at your disposal today. However, with all of that, and with all of that communication, the ability to connect live with people is more and more rare, and and I think that you know the understanding of that and the value of real interpersonal human connection be it as a coworker uh with customers or as a leader my my respect for that and and the fact that that's a part of what I've always you know studied or or enjoyed and and the human element of that as it turns out, it's just more valuable today because it's it's not something that everybody does. And and I, you know, the more you can sort of you know look up from your device and connect with people in in the real world, I think the more you will separate yourself as a leader. And you know whether that's business leader, people leader, whatever, that is the real unlock. And and you know I I. I didn't know that as I started my career, uh, but but I've benefited from it, and and I look for it in leaders today. I'm I'm a little more deliberate about it, uh, but I'm thankful for that being a part of of you know my background because it certainly it certainly suited me well in my business. Well, I would encourage anyone to get a theater degree, uh, at least a few theater courses under your belt in any kind of business. I mean, you brought back some uh, horrific memories of fear and terror in the uh, Saturday morning meetings when you're yeah. uh, as simple as Andy lead the cheer and how can you forget Man. a Walmart cheer is the most simple thing but if when you're put on the spot to give it and you forget like I did twice uh, like this is going to be impossible to forget no the, the pressure of that right a, a squig a, being the squiggly is a humbling moment you know it's <laughs> well, forgetting what happens after the squiggly, uh, which you, is because your brain has been disconnected on the squiggly, uh, is is really kind of comical, and it happens to every single leader that's ever had to go up in front of a couple thousand people and, and lead those cheers. But but you're right. I mean, I think it's the empathy um, you learn. Um, I had several. Uh, I was a part of the thespian team in high school, and, and it was really a valuable experience because I think if you connect to people today at this human level, especially with the, all the technology, you know, I say go for it, especially liberal arts, whether it's art history, you know, what what is true, good, and beautiful, and look at the history of that because it informs what's beautiful today, and those principles are not coming from technology. They're coming from the humanities. 
No, it's true. Al- Albert Einstein, uh, you know, said a lot of smart things, but but uh, when when people were dismissive of of liberal arts education, his quote was that you know the value of liberal arts education is that it it is not that, and I'll butcher it, but it's not that you learn facts that you can write in a book. It's that it teaches you how to think about things that cannot be written in a book. And you know, I, I, you know, I think leaning into that and, you know, that said, what I did have to do and was very fortunate is, is, you know, I got to own a business early on and, you know, there's no better education than, than having to, to answer for a P and L and, you know, to, um, I, I remember, you know, uh, part of a, a key leader group meeting, uh, asking Lee, Scott, if the company would support me going back to get an MBA. And, uh, you know, that wasn't, you know, we didn't have that kind of development back then. They think about it differently today, obviously. But uh, I remember Lee said, why? And I said, well, I just, you know, I, I'm theater degree. I, I don't, you know, I, I feel like maybe I'm missing something. He's like, He's like, you're running an $8 billion business. Um, and, you know, here's all this other stuff you do. Like, if you want an MBA, go get it for you. Yeah, we'll support you. He goes, but don't feel like you need to do that to prove anything to the company or or to anybody else because you're you're doing more and have learned more than you will learn in a program like that. And that, that was the benefit of being in that business at that point in time, I, I certainly, you know, don't say that to disparage an MBA. I applaud anybody who's 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 doing that. But I also think it's one of the reasons why it's valuable that that you go get experience and then come back and do it because you appreciate that learning so much more. Um, it, it really, you know, I I I got my education a little bit differently, but uh, you know, theater certainly hasn't been uh, a liability. Now, it's but how many leadership retreats today start with some improv uh, person comes in, right? He, and you're like, yeah. I could have told you that, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. Sign me up. JK, this has been an amazing conversation. I guess I'd ask one last question. As you look out into the future, what gives you hope? What what, what gets you excited about what lies ahead? You know, I, I got a lot of hope. I, I mean, it's easy to be a glass half full uh guy when you're surrounded by puppies most of the day right i mean i I, (laughs) you're not talking the leadership right you're talking the real puppies yeah both i mean you know in our office we've got you know 1600 people and a thousand pets at any point in time so it's it's uh it's it's a it's a cool place to work and and i i say that sort of tongue-in-cheek look i i do i work in a space where i get to see um the love that people have for their pets and, um, you know, no matter how, uh, you know, frustrating or, or messy the real world gets and, you know, no matter how much we may spin up on issues or there may be, you know, division, um, I happen to, to be professionally dedicated to something that, um, everybody tends to agree on, you know, I, 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 I do a little bit of work with Rila and I joke all the time if I'm ever, you know, having to meet with politicians that I, I need to just bring puppies, you know, because like make everybody hold a puppy as they debate the debt ceiling or whatever else, because you, you can't call somebody a name when they're holding a puppy, you know, like that's, um, but that is what gives me hope. I mean, I, I do get a chance to interact with people, um, you know, generally when they're in some of their best moments, you know, and, and the fact that we, you know, uh, you know, certainly operate a good business and work with a lot of talented people, but the fact that we're able to provide some value and service to people in a, in, in a space where they may have a question about how to, to love their pet the best, or when they may have a problem to solve, or, even when they're first looking to get a pet and they're they're trying to bring that into their life, that I mean, there's a lot of a lot of hope that surrounds those moments and, and really does, you know, make me believe that uh, no no matter how much more complex and complicated things get, that that there are these things that bind us together as humans and 
you know, as if we can, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about in our culture is for us to, to be at our best together, you know, we have to show up thinking about what we owe others before we think about what we're owed. And, and I, I, I love being a part of a team that, um, you know, we're not perfect, but, uh, when you get to work with people who, who more than not, you know, show up with that in mind and, and do so, uh, with the kind of, you know, commitment to supporting pets and pet parents our team does, it, it, it really does make for a lot of good days. Wow. I love it. I love so many of what the concepts you just shared, especially how about putting some puppies in with the debates and arguments and see where that goes, because there is something about that, man, that you just cannot deny the power of what that means. And a little bit of love goes a long way uh, to soften the world a bit. Um, you've been sure. tremendous, JK. Very generous of your time. Love the advice you've given the students about how to think about questions. If I go back to that one th element, that is when I, I'm going to continue to to preach and, and help counsel on is that learn to ask the questions in life and not just when you start, but all the way through your career. Never stop asking questions, whether it's a store walk or many other ways that you mentioned asking questions. Uh, it, it, at the root of it, it was being curious and asking the right questions. Yeah. So. No, thank you. Thank you and really enjoyed it. And uh, we'll make sure that the students get a, get a chance to hear all the good stuff that you just shared. Now, thanks. Thanks for the time and thanks for the questions. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk. That's it for this episode of It's a Customer's World. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I'd be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's a Customer's World podcast is a product of the University of Arkansas's Customer-Centric Leadership Initiative and a Wilton College original production.